What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, I didn't see Lady Bird, dude. Shame. I know. I tell the people we're going to be listening to it and I get caught up on the holiday weekend. I went for a hike, you know. I was waiting for my friends for this hike for an hour and a half, and all I thought the whole time was, man, I probably could have seen Lady Bird in this time. Yeah, those guys must be total douchebags, whoever those people are. Absolute <laughs> dicks. But that's okay. How was your holiday break? It was swell. I saw Hoodie Allen live in concert the day before I left for holiday break. That was a good time. What was your impression? It was fun. He's been touring like nonstop for like five or six years, so he's you know he's got he's a pro. He's got a big catalog, so it's a fun time. I enjoyed that. Picked up Ex Machina on Black Friday Blu-ray. on Blu-ray for a whopping $4. Stoked to do that. Big fan of that film. Yeah, I've already seen Lady Bird, so where's waiting on you, sir? But it's all good. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. Yeah, why, why don't we start, actually? I finally finished The Deuce, David Simon's recent <laughs> project. Been done a month or so. Yeah, where I went wrong was my girlfriend got hooked on it. So it's one, it was uh, one of those issues where... If I, even if I wanted to move ahead, I was in like a precarious position where, yeah. oh, do I watch it without her? And then rewatch it and just tell her I didn't watch it and just have to watch the episode twice. Hey, at least you put someone on. You know, that's kind of what we do here. So Yeah, and it, it actually is interesting. I don't think this is something Julianne would usually watch. So I, I was happy I got her to check it out. And she really liked it. And I, I did too. I mean, David Simon, we, we talked about this when we did our mid-season takes on it, but... He just does like the little things really, really well. Like the little character moments that like almost every character gets at some point or the other are really great. I thought Maggie Gyllenhaal, dude, like stole the season though. I thought she was oh, absolutely. phenomenal. James Franco for having a pretty hard job where playing a, a twin is doesn't isn't always pulled off. I thought he did a good job with that. And yeah, it's just cool to also see so many people from the wire. I thought even uh, David Krumholtz, who played Harvey Wasserman, the porn director, mm-hmm. like a, a pretty small role, but he, even he was a lot of personality. Yeah. So, definitely. yeah, I mean, and then it's funny, I'm almost done with Leftover Season 1 right now, and uh, Emily Mead is one of the prostitutes, and she's, yep. you know, uh, was it Chief Garvey's daughter's friend in The Leftovers. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wait a minute, I, I've seen this out of order, because now I just picture you as a prostitute. <laughs> Not the intended intended result. <laughs> I, I think we're going to be talking more about the deuce when we get to our year-end pod, because I have a feeling it'll be on both of our best of the year. But the scene, I think it was episode seven, when the diner chef just straight up yeah. shoots that pimp was so awesome. And, and like, yeah, that was great. So much like acting was done Reggie Love really saying anything. So, you know, some really awesome moments. We'll be talking more about it. Shout out David Simon, though. That that dude just kills it. It was renewed for season two, too. Initially, you thought it it, it appeared to be like a miniseries because right. it wasn't that many episodes. But season two coming up, probably move on. You know, some characters might return, you know, change locations, who knows. But more David Simon's good with me. Always good to have more David Simon. Speaking of killers, though, it's your boy Killer Cam. <laughs> got killed this weekend <laughs> fans of like 90s rap specifically had a really good weekend because out of nowhere this cameron mace beef like what <laughs> i turned on on twitter on the thanksgiving weekend expecting to read football takes and i have mace people talking about yeah. mace killing kill a cam in my fucking twitter timeline what yep. the fuck dave mace retired in 99 too let's not forget <laughs> yeah nuts I mean, the most the most notable thing that's happened to Mace recently was that when was Instagram yeah Instagram 
killed off a lot of like bot accounts, a lot of spam accounts. Mace lost like 150,000 followers or something. It was like, he was like the worst hit. And I was like, oh, Mace doesn't have any real fans. They were all fake. And obviously that's not true. But yeah, did not expect Mace to A, drop a, a diss track, but B, totally slaughter Cameron in 2017. Him, really awesome. Song called The Oracle. You can check that out. SoundCloud, YouTube. It's a free. But yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, it, it was an amazing song. You know, It's Killer was, uh, you know, Cam started the beef with It's Killer. And Cam has just been basically poking at me since he Correct. retired. Uh, Immaturely at that. Yeah. I mean, we don't see like a ton of like real rap beefs anymore. You know, not, not like they were in the late 90s. I mean, obviously Tupac and Biggie are like the most well-known ones, but we don't really see it like that anymore. So like me and Drake every once in a while will pick on Meek Mill or body some like younger rapper who you can just totally destroy. Like but, X. Yeah, but this was just, I don't know. It was, it was kind of nice to see two somewhat established, pretty good rappers go at each other. And then they made up, so the beef is over already. Right. Anyone who's interested in this, listen to the songs. Cameron did respond with a song called Dinner Time. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think this all kind of popped off because Cameron released a project called The Program yep. beginning of the month. Yeah, he's been taking shots on like Instagram Live and stuff like that, and Mace had enough. But Mace called in to Ebro in the morning on Hot 97. It's about 15-minute <laughs> phone conversation on you know Heidi Simmons YouTube channel you can check it out he's kind of explained his uh, reasoning his thought pattern he's feel like he needed to defend himself because of Cam's uh, you know fuckery yeah. so it, that was that was an interesting uh, listen to him give perspective because you know in the court of public opinion media wise Cameron won their feud long ago because Cameron was more popular got more attention things like that then Mace of course left hip-hop so a really interesting situation for sure and then on top of that on a uh, Black Friday Fabulous and Jadakiss, two of New York's finest, released Friday on Elm Street, a tight 45-minute track straight bars. Shout out New York. So eventful a few days for New York hip-hop. The Fabulous and Jadakiss album, like, again, what? Where are these people coming from? Why are they dropping fire albums and, and fire diss tracks? I don't know. Also, I mean, we have uh, Miguel coming up this weekend. Sci High the Prince just dropped out of nowhere finally he finally dropped his <laughs> debut album it's been forever the bjork album is getting a lot of love right now which maybe i'll get to i'm not really big on bjork but i don't know a lot of music that I, it seemed like a quiet weekend but quietly not that quiet yeah well so sci high was actually on the 17th right but i and I, you know the holiday week the short week for everyone at work kind of i kind of mixed through the cracks that's also because it was a more high profile release on the 17th Jaden Smith's debut album, Sire. Pat, did you get to that? Well, I listened to it today. I wasn't dissecting it by any means. I wasn't sitting there taking notes. But it Not was playing while I was at out. work. My, my general review, the sound was enjoyable at times. It sounded a little bit wonky at times, a little bit disjointed. I didn't really listen to the words, and, you know, and kind of reading around on this. <laughs> people were slamming Jaden Smith for being fake deep, I think a lot of people were saying. Right. What did you think about the album? Yeah, no, I think the group think around the album is the correct way to think about it, in my opinion. The production, let's start there. That's the big positive. Shout out Lido, dude. Yeah, Lido produced, I think, six songs, six or seven uh, of the, what, 17 songs. It's a 70-minute album. That's part of the problem. But the the production's so grand and so strong that everything about this, especially once you start listening to it, Jaden Smith presents his album Sire as something so much grander and bigger and more important than it is despite the fact that he has nothing to say. For a guy who 
assumingly gets really high and tweets off these ridiculous things. I thought he would have had something witty in there, but you know, shamey once, whatever. But yeah, there's the bars are so they're just so bad. Honestly, like they're, they're, there are multiple songs where you just you can read the verses on on Genius and you're not gonna get anything out of that. And again, that's not to say that all the songs are bad. They're not. I think George Jeff is actually fucking really fire. Falcon's not that bad. Icon that has the music video, really simple song, but I don't know I think it's pretty braggadocious. I like it. Mm-hmm. But then elsewhere you look and the song Watch Me, which has a video, is a blatant black skinhead ripoff. Yeah. Kanye, Kanye West. And then, not, not a very good one either. No. And then uh, the Batman song also has a video that came out earlier this summer. That's a blatant Jumpman ripoff from Drake in terms of just, you know, biting the flow. And of course, people really don't even care about biting flows in, you know, 2017 rap. But just the fact that Jaden's inexperience as a 19-year-old kid who hasn't been rapping that much. He's released, you know, two mixtapes and an EP over the past, like, five years. So he, he's not a full-time rapper obviously and it really shows because despite how important he wants you to make you think this album is he has absolutely nothing to back it up with lyrically when you think about who jane smith is as a person he's this 19 year old wealthy i don't know fake deep person this album almost embodies who he is at this point in his life pretty perfectly not not really much to say just kind of like he throws out conspiracy theories about 9 11 at one point on this yeah uh, the debunked building seven theory like i want to i want to read you th- this one which i it was on l girl i'm martin luther martin luther king life is hard i'm kama sutra ing ah. like, what fire <laughs> <laughs> like he really has nothing to say and he thinks he has so much to say and that's that's the thing is that he he just basically tries to be all these people he looks up to and he does it in horrible right because he's not, he's not really anybody yeah, yeah. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, the only reason everyone's harping on the lyrics so much is because he presents itself as something where the lyrics would matter. Right. Little Pump doesn't tell you that his 30 minute Little Pump tape is going to be the most woke thing ever. Exactly. So you don't expect it, and it's okay when it isn't. But Jane Smith's album is supposed to be so much grander because of everything else he's told you about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that's why everyone hate- hates the bars. But I mean, in a sense, he is kind of following his birthright. But of course, Will Smith made pop rap. Will Smith knew he was in Public Enemy. Right. So, Jane Smith, you're not B.A., you're not Cuddy, you're not even Little Uzi, so. Yeah. <laughs> Will Smith, like, made the song Wild Wild West. He made the movie Wild Wild West, which is probably even a bigger mistake, but just, he he embraced his corniness, and that's who he was. And I think he honestly knew he was a comedic person, and that, that was how he was going to be famous, and he went down that lane. Yes. He, He's he an entertainer. DJ Jazzy, yeah, exactly. He found the DJ Jazzy Jeff and was just, he took off that way. Yeah. But Jaden Smith, he's not really good at anything. Willow is a much better performer. Yeah, correct. I would say so. And it's funny, uh, Kendrick tweeted, retweeted uh, Jaden's tweet about for the Icon video. And then one of the best comments, best uh, tweet replies was uh, Kung Fu Kenny and the Karate Kid. And I was like, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. If this wasn't Will Smith's kid, like let's say this was just, I don't know, some up-and-coming rapper someone trying to be a rapper do you think this would get nearly as much attention no so no basically it, probably the, the beats probably wouldn't be as good uh for starters because that's that's yeah. an expensive production cost for sure it's only getting so much attention because 
there's this interest in Jane Smith as a celebrity. Uh, <laughs> there's no buzz for his music career. And I mean, there wasn't even much buzz off these singles. You know, I get a few million views because of who he is. That's about it. The, the thing I started immediately thinking of, uh, we can kind of transition the discussion there. That's our review of Jane Smith's Sire. Uh, there's a few <laughs> songs I'd point you to, but Don't it's not worth 70 it. minutes of your time. No. I, am I, in a sense, interested to see if he pursues it further? Yes. But again, I don't think he's truly a, a rapper at heart. And that's what I want to get into. Hip hop these days with the internet, there's more good rap than ever, which is something people don't say often. But there's also more bad rap than ever, which people love to tell you about. And on top of that, there is people jumping into the scene, jumping into rap, or just making hip hop songs that aren't really rappers. You know, they're not in hip hop. They're not true hip hop, whatever you want to call it. I mean, recently, Jake Paul has what 12 million youtube subs one of the biggest youtubers of the year really uh infamous guy paid gucci Mane reportedly 250k <laughs> for a feature for his it's everyday bro song uh, it's every day bro with that disney channel flow if you listen to the song which feel free to listen to it because it already has like a million more dislikes and likes so you know <laughs> give, give it the view it's fine uh but you listen to it it's a very basic trap inspired song with very simple flows and elsewhere you look we can get into other examples but the lowest common denominator of what is acceptable trap music these days Mm -hmm. people that aren't rappers are doing that in the case of a jake paul you're still getting millions of views on it because he's a master marketer and has tons of fans so i think i think there's levels to it i mean the cash me outside girl (laughs) uh danielle bergoli 14 years old has a record deal with atlantic because Atlantic will sign, yeah, B- Bad Bobby, I think, yeah. uh, off her song, like, These Hoes. And he listened to These Hoes, which has a video, and it's not, like, that bad. But that's Dude, because the sta- Yeah, I know. This, 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 <laughs> the, the, what do you call it? It's not that bad because the standards are that low. Right. And when someone whose job, whose livelihood is based on getting attention and being a meme, mm-hmm. they're going to do it better than other real rappers. Right. So it's not on us as the consumer to raise our standards per se. It's on the art to get the good art to get made. But what do you call it? A big shack, yep. uh, which is this uh, YouTube comedian English guy made a uh, grime uh, persona. And his song Man's Not Hot has like 76 million views Yo, in a month. That song yeah, what do you think? goes though. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm down with that song. How's it start? It's like. One plus two well, no, is three. Two plus two is four. <laughs> minus one. Quick math. <laughs> quick quick maths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and there's people like, oh, is is Big Shaq? Is Man's Not Hot ruining Grime? And I'm like, <laughs> who the I fuck mean, cares? No, because <laughs> people that listen to Grime know it's bad, and people that don't listen to Grime aren't gonna. Maybe they suddenly do. I mean, Man's Not Hot isn't bad for Skepta, right? No, but, but but I mean, also, there's also levels. To grime like Drake. Drake doesn't give a fuck. Drake, Drake, Drake does care. Drake, Drake wants you to love Drake. Drake cares a lot about a lot. Drake cares way too much about these things. And like, and so Atlantic signed Daniel Bergoli, right? They've also signed Cardi B, Lil Pump, Uzi, A Boogie, Kyle, PNB Rock. They're signing anyone with a buzz these days. But there's also like the middle ground. What about like Lil Dicky and Ugly God? These are guys that got XXL freshman cosigns, but are very comedic. Right. And you've got Gila Dickey has openly acknowledged that he sees hip hop as a avenue to grow his career. And he's a seems to be a comedian first. So what do you think of them? Because, I mean, Ugly Guy in particular, he's been kind of accepted in hip hop. Other real rap, real rappers, you right. know, work with him. 
So, I mean, is it just this, this landscape we have nowadays allows anyone who's good at using Logic Pro and making beats and can do basic trap rapping has an avenue? Like, I mean, how, how should you think about it? I'm not trying to be the old head like Joe Bunn or Lord Jamar and tell you, oh, that's not real hip hop. I mean, right. are these people a part of hip hop? Does it matter? I think there's a lot to it these days because of all these examples. Well, it's, it's, it almost sounds like the televisionization, is that even a word, of hip hop in a way? It's like it used to be movies when they first came out were all about dramas and making these beautiful works of art, things like that. And, and there were comedies, things, but a lot of times it was seen as an art form as film and people were, were taking in film and tv more then it became more about okay what are people actually going to watch what do people want to see and like yeah. you know you saw it go from dramas to comedies to reality tv and all these different things and they're going to find a lane it's just whatever people watch i'll i'm gonna think an admitted old head on this show at this point <laughs> youtube like youtube channels still i go on youtube and like type in what i want to watch i don't go to channels and like search through things jake paul still very foreign like you know that rice gum dog (laughs) (laughs) but like the the thing about all this is that it's like a changing landscape but it's almost like how every single art form moves like you reach a point where it's again apex and i think rap has been at an apex for quite a while now i mean you've had probably some more classic rap albums in the past 10 years than you've had rock albums that's a huge shift yeah undeniably with with that comes the the bad parts of it. it comes people trying to mimic it or find a different lane or just go for the quick money which is what you're seeing now i think i mean product of the internet i think body baby is fucking if she's still a rapper in like five years god right and and that's kind of the other side of this coin is that it's so easy to get a buzz with the internet and social media these days but it's arguably harder to stay relevant look at someone like chief keef chief keef's 23 24 he's very young mm-hmm. and he still has his fans but his peak a few yeah. years ago was way higher than where he's at now in terms of relevance now he's just kind of another rapper that people would check out i mean i was actually thinking of like miley cyrus miley cyrus is a, a few weeks uh, younger than me <laughs> how long is how many arcs of her has her career already had and yeah. then her album her country return younger now wasn't that resonant you know yeah. well but it's actually interesting i was listening just like through miley on randomly i think i put party in the usa on just kept playing through the, her spotify she's yeah. got a fairly deep catalog dude for sure uh, it's kind of unbelievable for someone her age to have it that deep it's i don't know i think miley gets a bad rap at this point because she has been through so many ups and downs away from being the yeah wholesome disney star to the weirdo sex crazed bangers era yeah exactly that was my favorite version we can't stop bangs that's a good song (laughs) the the weirder miley is i think the better so keep miley weird you know i I think maybe we should jump into something that you know kind of speaking of things evolving mudbound a movie that is only on netflix i don't know if we would have even seen this movie as of five seven years ago maybe as like a small art film but you know it premiered at sundance got a lot of buzz picked up by netflix after right. a24 i think was making an offer for it a24 and annapurna so everybody wanted this as far as like you know your ladybirds your oscar bait movies right but netflix won it and that's why it was in theaters for a week and now on streaming mudbound d reese this is like her first really big film. She her last big film was Bessie, but she I think the most notable recent notable recent work was she directed an episode of Empire. 
which is is that show still on the air on uh fox yeah oh, wow. still I, on there fallen considerably in terms of uh, any critical attention but i think it still does decent numbers that that was like when now style just started bro like empire mm. was like rising then more relevant like than these shows going up and down sorry <laughs> so uh mudbound what, what was your your take sitting at 90 percent rotten tomatoes after i think like over 100 reviews yeah, what, what was your impression of Mudbound? I, I really liked it. I it has a lot of great acting. You know, it's kind of a dark, haunting story at the end of the day, but I think that the, the characters all, you know, kind of shine through, and the script really takes you to that 1940s, post-World War II South uh, setting really well. And, you know, I mean, you looked at the cast, it speaks for itself, but, I mean, each one of them, I think really has great moments and it's you know it's a movie about PTSD and race relations in the 40s but the characters are so strong that I think that's what really resonates. I mean who jumped out at you as a notable performer? You know I think Garrett Headland. Garrett Headland playing Jamie McAllen. So this is a story about the McAllens and the Jacksons basically being farmers on the same crop or same piece of land. Yeah, but uh, Garrett Hedlund was phenomenal. Also, Jason Mitchell as Ronzel was really good. Basically, the, He's the, the two big main winner. characters. Also, I didn't recognize Mary J. Blige. Me neither. I couldn't believe but it. But she was good. Yeah, she was really good. Yeah. It's really interesting. Also, Jonathan Banks. I like him so much as Mike Ehrmantraut. Seeing him in this role as the antagonist and as a Poppy. Pa- Pappy. Yeah. Pappy McAllen a major yep. racist for it's, sure it's kind of tough dude he really made me feel uncomfortable i really hated him by the end yeah like, i was rooting for him to die <laughs> yeah it was interesting it was interesting so I, I read a lot of reviews about obviously because it's it's a dark deep movie you know it's not gonna create a lot of buzz on its own right so i was like i need to engage with this and some people were calling kind of the third act and uh, the big thing that happens the Ronzel that Pappy's a part of as kind of like cartoonish and over the top and I was like what no just because it didn't like fit the vibe of the movie it was so extreme oh. almost like out of nowhere I guess like tonally mm-hmm. uh, which I can see but the same po- and another, another person said it well yeah but racism's never convenient is it and I'm like you know what you're right so I, I had no problem with it at the end of the day but Man was he a haunting racist character, and the way it boils up at the end is uh, a tough watch. Yeah, it definitely makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, it also struck me as that probably was the way, that seemed like a very realistic portrayal of something that might happen. And actually, I thought what happened to Ronzel was almost not really as far as they would go, because I don't don't think in most situations they would have let him just live, you know? Yeah, agreed. It made me feel incredibly uncomfortable, but at the same time, I was like gripping my chest for the last like thirty minutes of the movie because it was that affecting. So I thought it was very well done. Um, the only I think my, my biggest gripe with the movie is just the use of Jason Clark as Henry is basically mm-hmm. just a dunce and uh, oblivious. Yeah. Wasn't uh, a good farmer. <laughs> yeah, jackass throughout the whole thing was a little aggravating just because he was he didn't know anything that was going on. I mean, his his wife is fucking his brother. His wife's miserable. His dad's a racist trying to kill his... I mean, I guess he was aware his dad's a racist, but like didn't couldn't take a stand or didn't know what to do. Yeah. So he basically was just nothing throughout the movie. But I think Jason Clark actually represented a really important part of the movie. It was kind of representing the world, which was that black families were just expected to help white people. He would ask Rob Morgan's character, Ronzel's dad, and he, Rob Morgan would always say yes. He would always help him because that's just what it was. 
And even at the end, when Jason Clark's like, hey, help me carry this coffin. The coffin of... of After everything you know as the viewer, it's like, he's still going to help because it's not worth fighting it. It's a really good point. It's it's tough. And I mean, I I really liked Garrett Hedlund too. I think the dynamic between him and Ronsell is great and showing how veterans both would struggle post-World War II regardless if they were white or black. But of course, highlighting the obvious difference in treatments if you were white or you're black i mean especially ron zell having greater experiences in belgium than back in his homeland it's a little on the nose but it, it, it works well one, one other thing i want to throw out yeah so a.o scott great critic uh, writes for the new york times he thought he said the movie kind of was too much about white guilt and i feel like anytime any movie is made about the experiences of black people before the civil rights movement there it's automatically white guilt you can't watch it as a white person unless you're having white guilt i, I don't know like did, did you feel it was like overwhelmingly about that i did i didn't have that sense watching the movie like i didn't feel guilty I, I think i think i felt frustrated but it's also it's kind of interesting to think about it from that, that perspective because you know like garrett headland was such a progressive character for that mm-hmm. time and obviously they, they came from a more northern territory. I don't know if they're from the north, but more north than Mississippi, honestly. And, you know, thinking about just, like, my own biases watching this, like, and, and like, my own perspectives uh, on the world, I think it's the type of thing where you can definitely, you can read into it the way that you want to, but I think it, it speaks a lot about, I think, where races in our culture, where some people are feeling, like you said, there's always going to be that white guilt associated with these kind of stories and some people are going to feel like well i actually felt like it was kind of uplifting to see ronzel pull through and be so strong right. and be such a really amazing black character i thought very well developed and explored and his family build themselves up out of sharecropping by Absolutely. the end yeah the movie has so much care you know i mean a lot of people who don't want to watch black people experience what happened in the past on film i totally get that but it, it, again it's done with a lot of care like, the script is so strong that when you do hear the end bombs coming from white characters, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's not gratuitous, you know, and there's not like cartoonish amount of clan action. You know, it's not like there's a lynching every two scenes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I think it's, I think there's so it's made so well. There's so much care in the movie and that I also feel like it ends really well. I, I like, like point A to point B of it. Yeah. Any white guilt criticism. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me, I guess. How did you feel about Carrie Mulligan's character, Laura? God, I mean, they they, they look like they were living really nice up north, wherever it was. <laughs> was it Connecticut or something? Not Maryland? I don't know. They were dancing at dinner parties. She had a piano. And she marries this successful man. Maybe not as charm, Definitely not as charming as her the brother, Garrett Hedlund, but right. we, we let it go. And then they just move to this shitty-ass mud flat down south. Must be nice. <laughs> It's crazy how back then you can just get away with saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to buy this house from you. A verbal agreement at that time was supposedly supposed to be good enough. <laughs> this yeah. man gave me his word. What, dude? Get a fucking contract, bro. Show yeah, how long it took them to move, yeah. you know, like via cars across state lines like that. Oh, my God. I mean, but it kind of <laughs> alludes to what's to come with Jason Clark's character not being the brightest. Right, exactly. But yeah, Laura, I'm not sure how I felt about like the whole thing between her and Jamie. I think it was just, I think it was necessary. You know, again, it goes back to, I just wanted Jason Clark to like wake up. I don't know, yeah. stop being such a dick, but I guess it's probably kind of taking your point. I think that's how 
a lot of people looking back feel like they wanted people to wake up and to open their eyes and see what was actually going on around them, the injustices yeah. and, and how it affects other people. And again, like Jason Clark, he never says the N-bomb. He's respectful, but he's also, like a lot of people at that, most people at that time, did have some inherent racism. You know, the expectation of the black family is there to help serve the white family, regardless of whether they're free or not. I mean, yep. yeah, it's, it's, it's done really well. The scene with him telling Ronzel to go out the back door and out the front door, too, was yeah. pretty strong. Ah, you don't want any trouble now. It's like, man, Yo, it's, but it's, it's Shout heavy. out, uh... Carrie Mulligan, she yep. she's been in some fucking great movies over the last couple of years. Drive, The Great Gatsby, Public Enemies was one, but I mean I don't know if that was a great movie. That was okay. Pride and Prejudice was where she got her start. She's had a pretty decent career. Nice little run, who, yeah. Yeah, has only been working for about the last eight years. For sure, yeah. Any last thoughts on this movie? I've been doing a lot of Oscar reading at this point. We're kind of getting to that time. All the contenders are coming out shortly starting their premieres, etc. And it does seem like Mudbound's going to be hurt by the fact that it was a Netflix release. Yeah. Uh, Sundance is back in January, so the huge buzz of Mudbound when it was, at that time, the top movie of 2017, a lot, a lot of time has passed. So I, I'm not sure how much Oscar nominations this guy will get. Acting nominations-wise, I think Jason Mitchell's very deserving. There's talk of Mary J. Blige for Golden Globes, perhaps, but maybe a, a best adapted screenplay because it's based That's off of a uh, 2008 novel. It should get something because it's very good. But um, despite not a lot of high-profile Oscar movies, it is a tough race. So we'll see if it can crack Best Picture. Yeah, I was gonna say I think if anything, the writing will probably get noticed, and maybe the uh, like the set design or something like that, because you really did feel like you were like, sure. living in a mud flat. <laughs> Yeah, but we'll see. Hopefully, it'll get some shine. I think it'll be kind of like a ex machina in a way where you'll see it get like an ups like upset a category that you necessarily weren't expecting. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, why don't we wrap up there for this week? We're gonna be talking what maybe first two episodes of Easy. Yep. Next week and Miguel. Miguel. Yep. And Black Bear came out today. Not sure if there'll be much to talk about, but that's out there as well. As far as movies, Disaster Artist will be by me. I'm going to try and see that. I'm going to try and see Three Billboards outside Epping, Missouri, which has already been out. But yeah, movies at this point, uh, now that we're basically in December, just when Oscar movies are by you uh, at this point because they're rolling out so slowly. Well, I'm going to see Lady Bird this week. I'm promising you and the Nostalgia Pod fans, I will see Lady Bird this week. We'll talk about it. We had receipts last week and it did us a lot of good. I I I told you to cut that, but I guess you didn't. <laughs> we forgot to we have to we forgot the promo today, Dave. What the fuck's wrong with us, dude? If you want to help the pod out, go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod. You can catch all of our old episodes, you can get to our YouTube channel, you can follow us on YouTube, leave a rating and review on iTunes, you can get us on Stitcher, Google Play, like Yep. Where are Spotify we? playlist best songs of twenty seventeen? I mean it's a hundred plus songs on there, so check it out. You might not remember what came out in January. Besides Migos, but we got we got you. Oh, actually, you were, you were tweeting about Run the Jewels today, which I, I do think is a 2017 album. But right. I've been thinking about it, and I was like, oh wow, the XX came out with an album in January. That seems yeah. like forever. It's been a while. Forever. Young Pope came out this year. Young Pope. I mean, shit. The Power Rangers movie came out this year. That feels like so long ago. It does. <laughs> they, they, this has been quite quite the year for a yeah. lot of reasons. I think you and I personally, you know, are cultural climate and the way things are changing it just happens so fast everything right. feels like forever ago 
all these people jumping into hip hop, like Jake Paul and Daniel Bergoli. <laughs> <laughs> if you, well, just think about Cash Me Outside was what this year, right? Like, was it this year? I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, when it got big off the Dr. Phil thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Crazy. So it's every day, uh, bro. If you want to talk to Dave and I about how everything feels like so long ago, at Martin Swagger, at Sheen World Peace, or at Nostalgia Pod. Yeah, and tell us what you want us to listen to. Give us some feedback. We're here for you. We love you. We will see you all next week talking about Ladybird. Peace out. All my days, I pray.